Hello, so today we're going to talk about digital activism and the process it in, that involves moving from online to in real life street demonstrations. For the purpose of this podcast, we will be focusing on the Canadian experience of digital activism against police brutality and racism in Canada. I'll be reflecting on how my identity as a man who happens to be Black, queer, and Muslim influences my online presence and the content I consume. I'll be reflecting on the power of social media to build connections, demand policy change, and amplify alternative narratives. We also discuss the risks associated with using social media as a platform for activism. Our analysis suggests that traditional media is accountable to the 1% that pays their bills, while social media is accountable to public opinion, and when in the hands of marginalized communities, is a tool to control their own narratives. The format of the podcast will be a self-interview with me asking a couple questions to contextualize what it's like to move from online activism to in-person activism. I'll also have an added layer of references from the literature that we've discussed in our class over the past summer. So the first question is, what is hashtag Black Lives Matter and how does the movement translate to the Canadian context? So Black Lives Matter, or BLM for short, was started in 2013 after the killing of Trayvon Martin, who was a teen living in Florida that was gunned down at the hands of someone I won't name. Uh, because they don't need any more attention um, in the in the night of February 2012. Since that incident, the killing of Trayvon Martin, that has launched Black Lives Matter uh, movement in the United States and has brought um, more attention to the killing of Black unarmed pe- people uh, in the United States. So how it relates to the Canadian context, Black Black Lives Matter, BLM, has manifested in chapters in Toronto and Vancouver. So Canada, Toronto has really been the centre of the Black Lives Movement um, in in Canada. So initially, Black Lives Matter came to Canada in 2015 when they shut down Allen Road in Toronto and then the following year in 2016 they uh, Black Lives Matter protested outside the special investigations unit in Mississauga in response to the killing of Abdi Rahman Abdi who died during police custody in Ottawa since then of recent this past uh, summer um, in the past weeks justice for Regis is a hashtag that has been circulating on Twitter in Canada. Regis Korczynski Paquette was a black woman who ended up falling from a balcony while in 
custody of uh, Toronto Police. Um, and the most recent addition to uh, the hashtag uh, movement for uh, against police brutality has been justice for Defonte Miller, uh, a black teen who was in 2016 beaten so severely by off-duty police officers to the point of losing an eye. Uh, so Black Lives Matter has been uh, a part of all of these movements in Canada um, and the history of police brutality in Canada has definitely been spotlighted uh, via social media. How has social media impacted the movement against police brutality in Canada? So referring back to the DeFonte Miller case, because it's so recent and present, present in my mind, I'm recording this uh, the Friday of the case, and you can really see how the impacts of the pandemic have essentially um, catapulted uh, the importance of social media engagement in the context of uh, activism. Because people aren't able to uh, demonstrate and meet in person to uh, organize, social media has been really the center of how activism is keeping institutions accountable. So again, the example of Defonte Miller, um, usually these type of cases would be held under behind uh, doors of a courtroom, uh, but instead, because of COVID, they were live streamed and broadcasted on Twitter with almost 20,000 viewers. Um, so the Bonilla article um, states that users uh, on Twitter feel like they were participating in Ferguson as they tweeted in real time about the unfolding events, rallies and su uh, of support to join various hashtags um, and monitoring of live streams where, where, where they could bear witness to tear gassing and arrests. Um, engaging in these activities was akin to participating in a protest in the, in, in, in the sense that it offers an experience of real-time engagement, community, and even collective um, effervescence. So Vanilla, where they're going with this point is that um, this has become even more, uh, social media has become more predominant considering we are still within a global pandemic. For the first time in history, everything is moving online, which is simultaneously giving more visibility to the injustices happening against Black and Indigenous people in, in Canada. So people are no longer distracted by the demands of everyday life, which creates, uh, as Vanilla uh, pro provides um, the digitalia for online activism. So specifically, social media has put a spotlight on police brutality um, against uh, police brutality against Black people in the United States and Canada, and it is impossible to ignore at this point. So the days after the killing of George Floyd, it was the only it, it was the only thing that was being discussed. Uh, a 
was a welcome transition from the previous news cycle that focused predominantly on COVID-19 to um, focusing specifically on racial uh, injustice. Uh, Social media, everything from cooking shows to uh, new sports newscasts were covering the killing of George Floyd. So referring back to the case about uh, DeFonte, Black social media users were able to react in, in real time to the portrayal of the victim as a criminal who was breaking into cars and resisting arrest by uh, the traditional news media. A, a quick search on Twitter, uh, typing in DeFonte reveals how black activism and Twitter users have taken back control of the narrative and have actually in real time protected the image of the victims of police brutality. One Twitter user says, I'm going to read some of the tweets that Twitter uh, users have posted in response to the Devonta Miller case. So one Twitter user says, I'm really, uh, I, I really wish that the media would stop calling it the Devonta Miller trial. He is not the accused. So there we see how a Twitter user is, a black Twitter user is taking back the narrative that Devante is the victim in the situation and not the accuser or the defendant. Um, a second Twitter user says that Black people in Canada right now are in a collective holding of breath. I do not think people truly fathom the energy in the air, the, unra- the, the unraveling. I love you, my people. How are you? Question mark. What we are seeing with regards to the collective mobilization of Black uh, narratives uh, on social media is a camaraderie uh, of the experiences of marginalized people, um, which is manifesting uh, online and translating to physical um, protests because of the engagement, the heightened uh, engagement on social media and visibility of these uh, issues of police brutality that are taking place in our country. People are following very closely what is happening online via live streams and, and tweets, and they are transforming this observance into physical um, presence in in the in the real world, uh, moving from digital platform uh, to reality, in order to, um, in many ways, uh, consolidate their convictions against police brutality uh, and and putting uh, reinforcing pressure against institutions that seek to oppress them. In what ways can social media put at risk or harm individuals engaged in digital activism? So this question came to mind after seeing a couple of days ago a tweet from Robin Maynard 
professor and author of Policing Black Lives, A State Violence in Canada from Slavery to Present. So her tweet reads, did anybody besides a slew of black women get Twitter verified who had no desire for this to happen? So the context of this tweet comes into play uh, as Twitter is being called out for a lack of representation uh, of black voices who are verified on the social media platform. So by that I mean that identity comes into place when Twitter is considering who to verify and we see that play out when black voices are seldom uh, appear next to uh, blue check marks. Um, so a blue check uh, means that Twitter has confirmed the identity of the person tweeting or that the user is a high profile or that the user has acted within the rules uh, of the platform. So during the past month, June 2020, I've seen many Canadian Black activists slash politicians I follow on Twitter who were recently not verified, so having no blue check next to the name, uh, receive a blue check next to their name uh, or their account on Twitter because there is a rich conversation happening globally, nationally around police brutality. In some respects, people could see this as a way for Twitter to put to action the rhetoric about supporting Black online activism. Even now, if you look at the Twitter main page, you'll see that they have the hashtag Black Trans Lives Matter, Black Queer Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. So in effect, what they're trying to do by verifying Black accounts is to put truth to power about their rhetoric and actually uplift black voices so but on the other hand this could also lead to a backfire because a twitter verification attracts a large or larger amount of negative attention um, which can which is often directed at verified accounts marwick highlights this conception of micro celebrity um which is the state of being famous to a niche group of people and involves the curation of a persona that feels authentic to readers. So the verification of Black activist accounts on Twitter has essentially turned them into micro-celebrities overnight. This has resulted in greater scrutiny of their tweets because society believes a blue check is synonymous with power. There have been reports of Black Twitter users receiving disproportionate levels of death threats as a result of their digital activism against police brutality. To bring it back to a local example, recently the Peel District School Board took legal action to uncover people behind Black advocacy Twitter accounts. They wanted to charge account holders with defamation for expressing experiences of bigotry and racism within the school board. Here we see that because of the micro-celebrity status of Black Twitter users, they are put at risk of legal action which could result in serious real-life penalties. Thankfully, after receiving lots of backlash on social media against the silencing of Black voices in education, the Minister of Education, Stephen Lacey, tweeted this. I have asked the new supervisor to the Peel District School Board 
immediately withdraw from litigation against community members to begin the process of driving change and meaningful engagement with those affected. We cannot silence community. In fact, we need community in these moments. And tweet. From this, we can see how there is a, a targeting of Black voices that are being given a platform to control and share the narratives that are present in their lived experiences, um, that they're being silenced by the very institutions that they seek to combat. So our final question is, how does your identity intersect with your activism online and offline? So reflecting on my own digital engagement, uh, this takes place mostly on Twitter and Instagram. I am 100% meticulous about the content that I curate for myself. I make the conscious effort to follow Black content creators that align with my feminist, anti-racist, pro-Black perspective and outlook on the world. Social media, for, for me, is a safe haven where I feel represented and affirmed in my values in support of the fight against police brutality. Like most, I have been more active on Twitter as a result of COVID-19 and the desire to remain in the loop about social commentary about police brutality. My identity informs who I follow, retweet, like, and mention on my social media platforms. I also participated in the Blackout Tuesday hashtag where I tweeted, Miss me with the POC, people of color, bull, explicitive. The time is now for specific calls to action in addressing systemic anti-Black racism in policing. Hashtag Blackout Tuesday. Hashtag Ottawa. So with this tweet, I wanted to bring attention to the fact that We are having a conversation about police brutality, not because of police brutality against people of color, but the unique experiences of Black people in Canada that have contributed to their current lived experience of violence at the hands of the state uh, through uh, police violence and mechanisms. Oftentimes, what we see is that the identity of Black uh, victims of police brutality are erased because this serves to the narrative of the media that, or society, that this is a bad apple situation instead of a systemic issue that originates from a historical uh, context of enslavement of Black people. I think with this tweet, what I'm wanting to drive home is that the experiences of Black people and uh, are are unique to Black people and should not be conflate, conflated with uh, the experiences of other racialized communities. 
um, because in doing so, we forget or erase how blackness is uh, being deviantized by the state uh, at a rate that is disproportionate to other racialized communities. Another tweet that I put out recently uh, as a way for me to uh, exercise my digital activism was in response to a picture uh, I saw of a police officer helping a black child in Ottawa, an Ottawa police officer helping a black child in Ottawa fix his bike. And this obviously was an attempt by the Ottawa Police Service to demonstrate that they have a close relationship or a trusting relationship with uh, Black Ottawa community, um, which, which wasn't true. So I tweeted, please stop using Black children as props in your campaigns to win public opinion. Shaking my head, the vehicle that's in trouble is systemic racism in police culture. Fix that. So yes, this is just another example of how I engage online to combat uh, images or narratives that are run contrary to um, my own identity as a black person, as a black queer person, uh, experiencing racism and, and homophobia uh, in in my life. So, um, Vanilla actually uh, speaks to this in, in how they acknowledge in their article that Twitter affords a unique platform for collectively identifying, articulating, and contesting racial injustice from the in-group perspective of racialized populations. So, what Vanilla is saying essentially is that um, the conversations that are being had on Twitter by people like myself who are from marginalized communities is actually a way for us to uh, directly participate and combat issues or, uh, or pictures that have previously been projected by the state that show us in, a, in either a negative light or a light that we wish not to be in. Um, so Twitter allows users who are geographically distant to feel like they are united. Uh, I feel a large sense of camaraderie um, by engaging in activism online, uh, being in a city that um, I, am a, I am the minority. It's great to have other Black folks uh, resonate with the tweets and comments that I'm putting out there on, online. Um, and Marek talks about um, how talks about the concept of mutual blended realities and how in today's society um, it's difficult to disassociate someone from their online identity and their in-person persona. Uh, the in-person and online identities are now more than ever bonded. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Now we've come to the end. I hope you took something away of substance from what I was able to share with you in these few minutes. 
I will now leave you with a excerpt from my speech that I gave to a crowd of hundreds of people June 20th um, in support of the Justice for Abdirahman coalition against the killing of him by a police officer. So without further ado, please enjoy this excerpt and thank you again for listening. Bye-bye.